Welcome to Yacht College's GM442, How to Maintain a Dynasty, which is doubling as our commencement address. I am Jeremiah O'Shan, the self-appointed dean of Yacht College, and I think we're poised to finish off this two weeks of curriculum on a high note. Before we get started, though, I wanted to share a few things. This has been a truly amazing experience for me and hopefully for anyone else who is engaged on any level with this project. Yacht College was conceived as a way to simply maintain the Yacht Con tradition, but it turned into something all its own. Our team of volunteers ended up producing more than 10 hours of programming, and we've already raised well over $10,000 for the Seattle Children's Autism Center, our best ever fundraising total. Nearly 250 different people have registered for more than 500 classes and have racked up more than 2,000 YouTube views and more than 2,000 podcast downloads. I think we also got to know a bunch of Sounders personalities in new ways, learned some new skills, and hopefully had a ton of fun while raising money for an extremely worthy cause. As a reminder, the money we raise goes towards buying big red safety boxes for families with children at the Autism Center. These funds are even more needed now than normal as the Autism Center has incurred added expenses due to needing to mail these out instead of being able to hand them out in person. I think we'll be ending on a high note too as my Yacht College colleagues Aaron Campbell and Lickett P will be joining me today in navigating our commencement address. Welcome Aaron and Lickett. Uh, you guys ready to eat some spicy wings and ask some spicy questions as we get going here? Let's do it. Uh, of course, the main reason we're all here is to gather wisdom from today's guest speaker, Garth Loggerway. He will be announced who will be answering our spicy questions while we eat said spicy wings. Uh, welcome to Yacht College, Garth. Hey, guys. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Hey, so uh, I suppose now that you're here, it's a good time to explain what I'm talking about with these spicy wings and spicy questions and all this kind of stuff. Uh, during our interview, we'll be pausing every 10 minutes or so to spin Lickett's trusted wheel o spice. Many of you have purchased spots on the wheel that will not only require us to eat spicy wings, but also come with the opportunity to ask Garth a spicy question. The wings Lickett, Aaron, and I will be eating will be at two different levels. One is a habanero-fueled spice that comes in at around 350,000 Scovilles and was made by a friend of mine at Solis Cocina. The other is some version of the Hot One's Last Dab, which apparently clocks in at about a million Scovilles. Uh, which I understand is enough to burn off my face. Uh, we've supplied Garth with the cooler of these two sauces, and we're going to let him kind of choose what he wants to do. Uh, but Garth, are you? How are you with spicy? How are you with spice and with spicy questions? Those two things, I guess. Spicy questions, man. I'll, I, I certainly I've had those before. I'll, I'll okay. do my best with them. Try to have some fun. Spicy wings expected to be sweating profusely, really, from here and like here. There's just like a. Sort of like a, yeah, like a really disgusting sheen about me. Well, uh, good. I'm glad you're, <laughs> you're, you're game and I appreciate you, uh, you doing this with us and, and, and like kind of humoring us really in this, in this endeavor. Um, and if anyone needs, uh, I'll be sipping a, when I need it on this craft casual, which is of course the beer that was made for us by fast fashion and uh, stoop brewing. Garth has some too. Maybe we'll talk about uh, about beer, but um, you know, before we get started with the really heavy stuff, I wanted to open with a question that I'm sure a lot of our our watchers and listeners are interested in. Is there anything you can tell us about um, Raul Ruiz Diaz's status? I guess he's he's been in Peru. Yes, uh, he has been in Peru. Um, the transition between administrations has led to some 
interesting situations on the green card front. Um, but long story short, um, Raul's been in the process of having his status uh, resolved down in Peru. And we are, you know, we certainly don't know what's going to happen yet, but we're cautiously optimistic that it will be resolved positively and that he will be able to return to Seattle this week. And I guess the added benefit is that even though he's, I'm sure you would have liked to have had him here, but he'll come back and he presumably won't count as an international player anymore. If, if we get a successful adjudication, then, then yes, then that, that's correct. And he would uh, be in uh, green card domestic player status, would not count as a foreigner. And, and look, he's been in a good setup down there. Um, you know, he's been able to train at the national team center um, this whole time. And uh, so, you know, he's, he's a guy that doesn't get out of shape very much to begin with. So, um, you know, certainly it's an inconvenience and it's an inconvenience to Raul and he's been there much longer than he had hoped to or planned to. And, um, you know, that's, that's obviously, uh, upsetting and off-putting and, you know, we, we hope to get it figured out really quickly so he can come back home. And I guess the, the opposite side of that is, uh, Will Bruin and Freddie Montero have had a chance to, to work together quite a bit. What have you thought of Freddie so far in this early part of the preseason? Was that someone that you had expected to be bringing back this year? Um, you know, Freddie has, has always kept a, a good relationship with the club. I, I personally don't know Freddie. You know, that was before I became the general manager. Um, but obviously, you know, tons of connections with Adrian, with Brian, et cetera. Um, and it was, you know, honestly a, kind of a no-brainer in the sense that we were looking at playing three five two, and and Freddie had experience in that formation. He obviously had extensive experience with Seattle. Um, you know, he scored a bunch of goals with Vancouver. I mean, it's not it's not like he's – past it or anything like that. So, you know, when we heard that he wanted to come, I think uh, figuring it out was, uh, was kind of a no brainer. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, when I, when he, when it was first announced that he was going to be coming back, I, I looked at some of his numbers and I was actually surprised the, a lot of the advanced metrics kind of like him, uh, especially with his passing and, and some of the stuff that he does, that's not just scoring goals was, was when you're signing a player, you're that familiar with from a, like a, a, a playing standpoint, how much digging in do you do onto those like more advanced metrics? And, and it, is that part of the consideration here? Um, we always follow our process, but I, I, honestly, in this one, Jeremiah, when you're talking about a guy who was willing to come on a team friendly deal uh, and had scored some goals um, and, you know, the, the further context, obviously is we lost Jordan Morris uh, very likely for the season. So, you know, goal, you know, we talk about advanced metrics and, you know, I'm a big believer in those and we do deep dives at times, but, Sometimes you just kind of can look at the lineup and say, all right, well, who's going to score and how many are they going to score? And, you know, you've just lost 10 goals out of the out of the team with Jordan. And hopefully you're able to put a lot of those goals back in with Freddie. And I look, it depends who plays. It depends if Will wins the job. How many games are, I mean, all those things are, are, are to be determined. But um, certainly we like the ability of Freddie to give us some goals uh, in whatever role uh, Coach Schmetzer and his staff find appropriate. So, this offseason, I don't know, every offseason, I guess, is its own animal, right? But how would you compare this one to other ones? Does it feel – just the idea that you might be switching to a three-five-two in itself feels like it makes it into a different sort of offseason. Yeah, I mean, look, I think we're sure about fewer things. Um, you know, obviously we, we couldn't predict Jordan's injury and when – you know, I guess if there's any silver lining to that, we've been through this already. You know, we've been in 2018, we went through this and he missed the whole season and we had to adjust how we played. And now at least, you know, we, there's there, we, we kind of know from the get go what we're going to have to 
to do, but I think it's to be determined, you know, what formation we're going to play in, what system we're going to play, how we're going to deploy our players. And um, so that's, that's contributed honestly to a somewhat conservative posture with respect to signing players, you know, and, and throw on top of that, then a, a, a pandemic. And, you know, the fact is, you know, you and I were joking before we went on camera here, you know, almost everybody we've signed has had is either a former in the last 12 months since the pandemic started has been either a former sounder or someone with Seattle roots. So, and, and look, it's really not surprising in the context though, we can't scout. So, um, but I, I do expect that the market is going to roar back at some point. I mean, obviously we, none of us know what's going to happen with the virus, but if we can continue some of the positive trends, we can get folks vaccinated. Uh, then hopefully this summer, the world is in a place where uh, we're, we're, we're ready to, people are ready to come out of their houses and, uh, hopefully, you know, initially join us at 25% capacity at, at Lumen Field, but, you know, hopefully safe, we can push it past that number safely um, if we can keep bringing cases down. And that's going to take the vigilance of all of us. And, and uh, again, everyone getting vaccinated, but, but hopefully that can come to pass. So how much has the pandemic affected the way that you approach signings and, and how much is it like, I mean, can you decouple that from Chris Henderson leaving and, and how can you like, how do you kind of balance those scales? Like it was, was a lot of this preordained or is this really just a you're reacting to what's out on the your realities? Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's a couple things coming together, right? Like losing Chris is a big deal. Um, you know, this is a guy who was maybe the premier talent evaluator in, in Major League Soccer. So um, really proud of him for getting the opportunity in Miami and, and uh, you know, watching him excitedly and, you know, uh, you know, he's obviously signed a couple guys that used to play for us. So, um, you know, rooting for those guys as well, you know, to go there and, and, and do well. So, um, you know, it's kind of, kind of a fun, almost parallel universe to kind of watch. And, um, you know, I have, uh, you know, Javi Morales, a player who used to play for me at Salt Lake is down there on their staff and Jason Christ is down there on their staff as well. So, um, you know, a lot of ties to Miami now for me and, and, uh, it's definitely a club that I'm going to enjoy following and watching. And, uh, you know, you kind of need a team in the other conference to root for. So, uh, I'll probably, probably be picking them. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's been, it's been a really, it, it's been a weird 12 months for everybody, right? I mean, nothing is normal, nothing is settled and everybody, you know, we kind of do the best we can, you know, we have this new under 22 player initiative. I think we're going to wind up calling those guys youth player slots is my understanding. So we'll see. Um, uh, but, you know, nobody's really, you know, again, we don't know what the market's going to look like and we're not sure what formation we're going to play. And, and by the way, whatever we settle on, we might flip back once Jordan comes back next year. So, and when you're talking about in particular, a YPS signing, it's clearly a signing that's going to be made for more than one season or or, or one window. So, there's some real challenges right now uh, that we're working through, and 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 look, we we had a we had a pretty good run. Hopefully, we can we can keep it going. Um, but it is a it is going to be a different team this year. There is there is no there's no two ways about that. So you you brought up a couple of things that I wanted to circle back on. One of them is is Chris Henderson's uh, replacement. How close are you to to being able to announce that? And and what was the philosophy going into finding that person? Um, we had kind of three pillars uh, that we looked at. We, we certainly wanted somebody who could help us replace uh, what Chris was really, really good at, uh, picking players, uh, you know, finding players from all over the world and using them to build out um, not just the Sounders, but uh, Defiance. Um, the second we wanted was somebody with uh, some youth development experience or youth development background 
obviously we're, we're, we feel like we're in the midst of kind of the final push on that front, you know, where we've, we've signed some kids and we haven't gotten them through to the first team yet. And just want somebody who can come in and advise us and help us and, and kind of try to get us over that last hurdle. Uh, and then third, we really wanted somebody who was uh, familiar, you know, with, with somebody who had some cultural ties, whether to uh, the coaching staff or to Seattle uh, or, uh, you know, just, just to all of us, somebody that was known. I mean, we, you know, we feel like we've got a good coaching staff. We've got a good front office. We've got a good player development group. You know, we really didn't want someone to come in and reinvent the wheel. You know, we wanted somebody who, you know, we thought could come in and adapt um, to, a lot, to a lot of what we're doing and certainly hopefully, hopefully bring some outside ideas. It's always good to get a fresh set of eyes uh, on your process and your program. And um, so anyway, trying to combine those things. And, and Jeremiah, I think we're going to have an announcement this week on, on that front. So could be oh. could be a good week. You know, if we, we get Raul back, um, Adam Owen's been stuck in visa purgatory as well. Um, I'm hopeful that he's going to get resolved this week. So, you know, we could have Raul, we could have Adam um, and completing our performance staff and we could have a sporting director all within the next uh, five days. Wow. That's uh that's pretty exciting stuff there. Some, some things going on. Yeah. We're, 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 we're working on it. So uh, one of the other things that you, you brought up was this young player initiative or I don't know what we're young player slot, I guess is, is what we're, we're going to call it now. Um, how, you know, is that something that you guys were able to hit the ground running on, or did you sort of have to start from scratch in terms of identifying players that would fit into that sort of slot? Look, I mean, the obvious place to look, I think, based on how we were set up last year and, and the year before that was as a, you know, particularly when uh, we decided to move on from Joven was to look at right winger candidates, right? And then uh, Jordan got hurt. And so now, you know, so do you want to go out and sign two wingers? Because um, again, Jordan's going to come back in a year, so that doesn't make a lot of sense. And if you sign one winger, then you're still one short because Jordan's out this year. So, um, you know, again, I think it depends. We got to see how the coaching staff is going to play, and and we got to see how players do in the new system and the new roles. And and look, on Tuesday we have, you know, we'll, we'll we got a little bit of a exhibition game thing uh, going on, so. Um, hopefully we'll get a little bit more information there, but uh, you know, it, it's a work in progress and, and it's, I mean, even the, the preseason is not normal. Um, you know, we are staying here in Seattle. It's the first time we've ever done that. Um, and we're, you know, we're able to bring some teams in to play us. Um, but you know, with COVID out there, that's a really real thing. And, and, you know, we were not comfortable putting our group at risk uh, going on the road for weeks or, uh, or months at a time as we've done in the past. So, um, you know, we just got to be patient. We got to get through this and, um, you know, again, I, I think still have a lot of confidence in the spine of our team and in the core of our team. And, um, you know, on paper, when you look at something like uh, whether it's a three, five, two or a four, four, two or wherever you look at it, I mean, we do have the, the personnel to fit that. Um, and so I do think we can hit the ground running uh, in that respect. But, um, you know, we'll see. It'll, it, it's going to look different. There's no question about that. All right. Well, it, it sounds like uh, we're at our first stop here of uh the spicy the spicy wheel this the wheel of spice whatever we're gonna call that but uh so we're gonna take a little break here lick it how, how are we gonna are you are you able to show that on the screen or what are you gonna do here uh i'm sending it up right now hopefully it shows well, up in a second i don't think we're getting your audio uh, my screen is not working okay Dublin's question is uh it's actually for Jeremiah, 
Uh, oh. Taking into account where you were raised, how do you justify supporting the 49ers and the Sounders, but not the Earthquakes? Yeah, I I grew up in the Bay Area. I grew up a 49ers fan, an A's fan, Sharks fan, a Warriors fan. But I, I was never really, even though I was going to college, I was actually at San Jose State when the inaugural MLS game was played. And I don't know that I was even aware that the game was being played there. And it was down the street. And uh, suffice it to say, I, I never saw a Clash game when I was in college. I went to a few Earthquakes games after I, after college. But I certainly was never a fan. The last, one of the few games I went to, though, was a uh, the Earthquakes game against the Sounders in 2009, which I don't know that you'll know this, Garth, but... It was a 4-0 Earthquakes win, and what I was came away impressed by, though, was the, the traveling support that the Sounders had. They had a couple hundred fans there, and I was kind of blown away by that. I was As it happened, I was getting ready to move to Seattle anyway, and shortly after moving to Seattle, I kind of fell in love with the Sounders because it was so much fun to watch them play. They were in the middle of an Open Cup run. I was going down to the Georgian Dragon and, and watching... Uh, games there. Georgian Dragon, by the way, I don't know if it's there anymore, which is very concerning. Uh, it looks like that property has been redeveloped, and I'm very worried about it. But anyway, that's my story. Uh, so I just never, I never really got into the earthquakes when I was in the in the Bay Area. So that's the answer. Uh, Garth, what what was your soccer team growing up? Anyway, what were you? Who were you rooting for? Um. The first, uh, you know, big pro game I remember going to was with my dad going to the with to the Chicago Sting when they played for the Soccer Bowl. I think it was either 1980 or 1980. I never remember the year, 80 or 82. I think may may have been 84 even, but um, they won it in one of those years, and we went to I'm pretty sure to Wrigley Field to to watch the final. And uh, it was Pato Marhetic and Carl Heinz Granitza and. Uh, Brett Hall, who later co- coached me, was one of the American players on that team. So uh, it was really, it was, you know, it was one of those things. I went with my dad and it was like, okay, soccer's my thing now. So, um, you know, it was just super cool. And it was the first championship that I remember, you know, I, I may have been aware of some others or something, but that's the one I, that I was present for and, and uh, you know, uh, kind of went from there. Well, this actually takes us into a, a direction I was already planning on going. But I think it's a, a good segue. Uh, you know, Americans have made a lot of inroads in Europe. It feels like all of a sudden in the last couple of years, it went from being like, oh, my gosh, are Americans going to be playing in Europe at all? To now it's like, ha- like they can field a whole national team of, of young Americans that are playing overseas. Uh, what's your perspective on on that? on that trend. Is that a good trend for MLS? Is it a good trend for American soccer? Are those two things in uh, conflict or are they related? Um, I, I think it's all part of building a virtuous cycle. And what I mean by that is that if we're developing better players here, you know, I think we want part of our strategy to be that we're selling players, right? We've seen all over MLS now that, that teams, you know, and it, it used to be, Hey, well, if you're developing players, you can't win. Right. But then the Philadelphia union won the supporter shield. So it's tough to make that argument. Um, and then they sold uh, a couple of guys for a lot of money, right? And um, I think it, uh, sign it's kind of simultaneous to that, right? And, you know, RSL has been doing this and Dallas has been doing it and Philadelphia, New York Red Bull. Um, 
uh, you know, we've had a bunch, you know, a bunch of teams do it and do it pretty well now. And if you even look at LAFC and how they built their team, you know, they have a very, they have a young team that's kind of full of assets. Um, and that was one of the focuses that they made in their build. And, um, you know, Atlanta's done some things right with Almiron, with Marco, you know, some other stuff. So it's been, uh, it's been fun to watch the league evolve that way. And I think simultaneously, Greg Berhalter started playing young players with the national team. Um, and I'm so all of which to say, I think we're, we're taking a step forward as a country and we're, I think the rest of the world is starting to figure out that there are good players here and we're given more opportunities to young players. And um, again, hopefully then if we're able to generate revenue off of that eventually um, and these guys competitively go over there and they get better and better, then it's, it's good for everybody. Just eat another wing, I think. Why don't we eat another wing? Sure. I'll have another wing. Can't, you can't go wrong eating another wing. I'm gonna try Garth, to I got to tell you, I was very impressed. I asked you what kind of wings you wanted, and you were very specific. You wanted flats. What do you like about flats versus drumsticks? You know, I, I was literally just thinking of how I can make less of a fool of myself, and I feel like the drumstick you have to like gnaw sometimes, like to you know to separate it. Whereas, okay. you know, if you got a flat, you, know, you at least you go one pull, and for better or worse, you get what you get, and you know, it's kind of no second guessing yourself. See, I actually was thinking the other way, which was a drumstick. You just kind of bite into it, and and with flats, you got to have like a system. But it's conceivable I've eaten more wings in my life than you have, Jeremiah. You probably have. You're you're probably a little bit. I have not had a, a lot of experience. I, certainly, I don't have like my own system yet for wing eating. But I like what you did there, winging it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Garth, you know, we we see American players making inroads into Europe. How close do you think we are of of uh, talent evaluators and people like yourself getting into the European, moving over to Europe and, and seeing more coaches and, and that side of things. Well, we've seen a couple, right? I mean, it, it took forever for somebody to break through and Bob Bradley made it, you know, for a, for a couple of weeks with Swansea. And then, um, you know, you've seen now um, Jesse Marsh obviously going over and doing well, you know, now that's part of the Red Bull umbrella, but I think you're going to see more and more of those, those kind of multinational setups and, just as MLS players uh, get more exposed to the world, I have no doubt you'll see more and more coaches and executives um, get exposed and go over. And it's it's all about the the respect level that MLS has earned uh, abroad. And you know, again, as we move players, I think again I, I use the phrase virtuous cycle. I think you know it's going to increase the respect level for MLS, and I think we'll probably you'll see more and more of those transactions both on and off the field. And so, do you get the sense that? that American players are actually getting better? Or is it just that the way they're being evaluated, like European talent evaluators are just trusting the American player more and it just sort of like, like is part of that virtuous cycle? Um, Look, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, in the sense of, I mean, I, shoot, I, we're spending millions of dollars a year on player development, so I hope we're getting better at it. You know, if we're not, then uh, we've been uh, pretty negligent. Um, you know, so yes, I do think the level uh, is improving. Um, you know, certainly we have a lot more tools than we ever have. And, you know, uh, and with MLS next where, you know, MLS as a league has even recognized that we're going to, uh, need to be active in this space and, and, uh, drive the space forward and continue to do that. And, you know, as we move from, and, you know, 
we're at 27 teams this year. We're going to, sounds like we're going to move eventually to 32. Um, you know, that's going to cover virtually the whole country. You know, I think you'll have fewer and fewer guys that slip through the cracks in a 32 team league. Um, and that's exciting. And I think we'll keep doing that. And likewise, when the, you know, when the national team coach takes a shot on five or six young guys and a whole bunch of them pop at the same time, then, you know, you're going to get a whole, uh, you know, a, a, you're going to get what you've seen, which is players getting opportunities and um, a real increase in interest in American players because American players are still cheaper than a lot of their counterparts are, you know, because it is a market that doesn't have the long track record of success in terms of players moving to Europe. And, you know, now as you see guys go over there and do well, um, you know, every one of these players that gets sold, all of us in MLS are rooting for. It doesn't matter if they came from Dallas or Philly or uh, New York. Uh, you know, if they do well, they're, they're going to uh, prop up the market for everybody else. And so what do you see as the Sounders approach? Like, how do you, what do you see the Sounders role in that space? Like, is, is it imperative that the Sounders start selling players to Europe? Is it, is that a secondary, is it always about, you know, winning and, and development on that kind of level takes a second step or like, I don't know, how do you, how do you balance those differing needs? Yeah, you know, the one thing I, I feel pretty strongly about Jeremiah is I really don't think it's an either or. You know, I think that that's, a, that's the wrong question. You know, it, it's, you know, because it, if, if it's, you know, are you committed to winning? Well, I mean, we've been to four of the last five MLS Cup finals. It seems objectively, you know, certifiable that we're, we're trying to win. Um, uh, so that's, you know, that I think goes without saying. And, um, you know, we, we have, you know, once we get fans back in the building, I hope 40,000 people are still showing up every day and sh- every game and, you know, we, we're always going to owe it to those folks to uh, to do our best to win every game, uh, and we're going to do that. But I don't think it, it is mutually exclusive that you can also develop players. You know, again, Philadelphia Union won the Supporters' Shield, so I think I think that argument is a little – I mean, I thought it was antiquated before. I think it's, you know, particularly so now. Um, you know, there are big clubs all over the world that um, play, you know, one or two young guys at a time, and I think that's really the key to it, right, is – no one this year is seeking to reinvent the wheel and say all of a sudden we're going to play, um, we're going to go to you know Columbus on the road and start five teenagers. You know, like that's not a recipe for success. But um, if you can introduce one young player into the team in most games, um, you know whether that's in a reserve role or a starting role, and we have a number of young players that are knocking on the door, um, and I think that's the way to approach it successfully. Uh, to have young players playing next to uh, experienced veteran players. And then maintaining the standard, and then you know, really, what you're doing by doing that is you're investing in yourself. You know, you know, as we've seen, we you know we got to a salary cap situation. As you you know, when you go, go on these long uh, championship runs, you know, you you everybody in every sport, at least in North America, with a salary cap, you hit the wall, and you you, you have to then offload a bunch of veterans. Um, and so we've known that this day was coming, and you know, we we put all our chips in, you know, the last two years to try to to try and win. And, you know, now we, we are at the stage where, you know, that hopefully some of that investment in the young players starts paying off and we're able to, as I said, to break through and get them on the field and then increase over time, the upside of the whole group. Cause that's the great thing about young players is they, they may be a little bit up and down, but again, if you put them in the right structure and the right system um, and you coach them up, then, you know, they're going to get better. They're really only going to get better. So, you know, your starting point is, is just that it's a starting point. And, and that means your team's going to improve over the course of the season. And so it was, I don't know, Jordan's situation was maybe a little different in that he was already an established player. But was that, 
decision did did like the the desire to be part of that system did that play into letting Jordan go and and do the loan obviously it didn't quite work out how everyone wanted but if you can go back to the decision making process of of doing that or was Jordan just completely a separate category because of everything that he had done in the organization and whatnot yeah, I wouldn't personally tie those two together. I mean, obviously, look, the, the only person who can truly answer that is Jordan himself, right? But, um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we had, you know, it's all, this is all public, right? I mean, Jordan, when Jordan left Stanford, he had a bunch of opportunities. Um, he chose to sign for the Sounders. Um, you know, I, I, obviously, I think that was a great decision. Um, hopefully, Jordan thinks it was a great decision. I think he does. Um, you know, but with that came the, you know, we're not going to be absolutists here. You know, if, if you, sign with the Sounders. We're not saying this is forever and we'll never let you go. Like that was, that was part of it. It was, you know, if you're going to willing, be willing to give us a chance and pass on the Bundesliga and sign with us, then, you know, if you come to us one day and say, Hey, I want to give it a shot, then we're going to help. And, and it was as simple as that. And um, I know, you know, I, I don't know. I sense that some people think that's cheesy or naive or, you know, that's not really what happened, but um, it, it honestly wasn't that complicated. It, it was, you know, when Jordan came to us and said there was something he really wanted to do, we said, okay, you know, this is, this is what we had talked about. And, um, you know, we gotta be, we gotta live up to our end of the bargain now too, and, and try to facilitate in, in uh, the best way possible for the club. And, you know, look, he, he gets hurt in a non-contact injury. So, you know, it wasn't because of fixture congestion or, or cumulative fatigue or, you know, some of these things that can happen on loans. Um, you know, he got hurt in space and it's the same way he got hurt. Uh, three years prior when he was playing the Champions League. So um, stuff happens, and it's a bummer. And it's mostly it's a bummer for Jordan. So, um, But he's a super resilient kid, and we're, we're, we're really proud of him and really happy he's still a sounder. And hopefully um, at the end of all this, he'll, he'll be a sounder for a long time. So does the calculus change at all when it's a, a younger player who maybe hasn't had a chance really to, to break in? I mean, is there a pressure to – to sell a player early if they if you're getting those offers at the you know very beginning of their career or is that something where you want to like is there is, is there some imperative for the first team to get kind of some playing out of these guys before you are willing to sell them um you know some of the metrics that we use um you know when the when the kids play their market value tends to go up pretty dramatically um when the kids play in world cups um, you know, we were tied for uh, with NYCFC having the most kids in the last under 17 World Cup team. Um, and, and look, that doesn't because you played the World Cup doesn't mean you're going to make it either. Right. So, you know, if they come in the first team and they do well, um, you know, there's no question that playing them meaningful minutes will will drive their value as to what you do with that player. I think it's it's always a case by case and it's complex. You know, is this a guy that you see is going to be your starter for the next, you know, three, four, five years? Um, is it a, a player that you, you know, do you really believe in them or not? You know, some of what you're selling when you're selling 17, 18, 19 year old players, so you can't sell them before they turn 18, but you know, is potential. So you have, we know the player better than anybody. And, uh, you know, there is a, a price at which it probably makes sense. And there's probably a price at which it doesn't. And, um, you know, that's what you have to examine. I think the big thing for us, Jeremiah, is we got to be in the game. We, we have to come up now with, some, some solutions. Um, we can't just roll out, you know, and, and this is one where we've made the playoffs 12 years in a row um, and, you know, had nothing but success. And it's, it can be really challenging to evolve because, you know, we've been to four of the last f- uh, five cup finals. And, you know, so to, to agree internally that, Hey, this has worked really, really well. 
but we're going to try this new thing. And, and again, it's not an either or. It's not a black and white. It's not a binary choice. Um, but I do think that the way the world's move, moving with these youth player slots coming in, um, I do think that it's a space that we, we have to be in. Um, and in that sense, we have to evolve as a club. And again, it's it's not a radical sea change. It's let's win every game and let's let's try to do it while we're developing some players too. All right, so, All we're, right, gonna, so we're gonna do another break, another break. and uh, and ask a question from the wheel. This one uh, apparently is from Matt Clevenger, and I'm gonna go ahead and let Aaron ask the question. Uh, this is this is actually a pretty spicy question. Uh, what job or opportunity would make you leave the Sounders? It doesn't have to be limited to the world of MLS or soccer. Uh, are we eating our wing first? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We got to do the wing yeah, first, right? The wing first. Oh. All right. I'm doing the ghost pepper one this time, so. Oh, good. All right. I'll do that one, too, because I'm, I'm a sucker. All right. So now my palate is uh, apparently a little more prepared for this. That is still quite spicy. Wow. That's not good, boss. <clears throat> no. <laughs> oh, no. Very bad idea. Oh, well. Well, so, you guys are, are struggling to like, uh, Hot Ones, which is this YouTube show that we stole this idea from. What's up? I'm asking Garth if he's ever watched Hot Ones. I have not seen hot ones. All right. Well, after this, you'll maybe get some new appreciation for it. But <laughs> I do. It, it's it, an it, interview. A I'll give you the 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 ten thousand. The the elevator pitch is an interview show where they eat rapidly uh, escalating levels of spice wings, and uh, at the end of it, they're eating the stuff that I am apparently eating with almost every wing. Because I am apparently a glutton for punishment. And I think that's what the people want. It's definitely what people were. It's definitely what the people want. You guys hear me again? Yeah. Cool. All right. So, Garth, we left off. We were talking about uh, development. Where do you think the, like, oh, where would you question, grade? Yeah. Huh? Oh, you haven't done the question. Thank you. Wait, you did the question. He hasn't answered it yet. I, yeah, he hasn't answered it. Yet. Oh, that's right. We've got, we're on a fire today. <laughs> I think those spices are getting to your brain, Jeremiah. They are. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have tried. I was just one, I did one of my my three stars. So so far so good on my end. No, I don't, and I haven't put any ghost anything on anything. Let alone, <laughs> I'll, I'll try the habanero stuff next. Um, but, uh, look, my job. You know, the next uh, kind of invocation point for the job is uh, you guys all vote, vote on me, right? So um, we'll see what happens with that in uh, 2022, and, you know, we can go from there. I mean, it's, it's obviously a really fun job, and, um, you know, getting to work for the Sounders is a privilege, um, and to do so as the general manager is a, a particular privilege as a steward of the club and um, to be part of an organization that's had so much success um, before me and, Hope, you know, hopefully during during my tenure, and no doubt will continue to be successful long after I'm gone. So, 
Um, you know, it, it's it's kind of hard to answer that question or imagine it. Um, you know, the there aren't. Uh, you know, the the thing that would be tempting, and Jeremiah, you and I have talked about this before, is you know, if there's a CEO role at some point where you were you were running an entire club, um, and again, you know, there are folks that have done that in the last couple of years that have said, hey, that's a really bad idea. You know, that's it's it's a structure that as a league the the league is moving away from. Um, but it's it's always about uh, you know, can I keep learning? Can I keep getting better? Can I keep uh, you know meeting new folks and doing new things and and uh, being challenged and you know just enjoying work the same as anybody else in any other job. Would you say that that Seattle has uh, met your expectations in terms of when you when you made this move in 2015? Sounders were coming off a of supporter shield. You were coming into an established team that was still looking to get to the next level. I don't know how much you knew about the exact situation, but would you say it's 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 like how would you assess all that in, over six years? Um, you know, I guess I feel like it's gone pretty well, right? I mean, uh, results on the field would speak to that. You know, we've talked tonight a little bit about, you know, can we become kind of the complete club, you know, where we're able to continue to compete for titles and develop players. And, you know, that's, that's a fun challenge. You know, it's just, uh, can you balance those things out? And, um, you know, uh, I, I'm interested in the strategy of it, you know, because in order to develop players, it's literally a years long process that you invest in and staff and players and, scouting and infrastructure and data analysis and um you know we're constantly trying to get smarter and um learn from our missteps and and uh, hopefully uh, push forward our successes so um you know that's been part of it and it's been uh for the most part it's been fun um ups and downs as there are with any job um but you know it's it's uh again it's been a privilege to you know the, the fans are, are still the thing that make this different um, you know, there's only one other city in America that you can go to where the club is, is relevant, even on a somewhat comparable scale, you know, in, in, you know, if you think about Atlanta, you know, even massive clubs like LAFC and LA galaxy and you know, you have the kind of big brands around MLS, um, you know, I don't know that they're as relevant in their local marketplace as the Sounders are in Seattle. Um, and that's fun and that's neat. And that's, uh, that, you know, again, that pr- presents some challenges, but it, it's, um, it's something that I know we value and, and, uh, you know, for our family, this is, uh, culturally, uh, the kind of place that we like living. So, um, it, it's, uh, I think it's overall, it's been, a a, a relatively good fit. Well, that's, that's good to hear. Uh, I know I've enjoyed the time that you've had here. Uh, and I'm hoping it keeps going. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that. But, um, you know, along those lines, I, we've been talking, we were talking before the show started, you asked about the, the Purple Haze kit or the uh, Jimi Hendrix kit that, and, and what we thought of it. And it, it started an interesting conversation in, in the Center at Heart community where we were wondering if this might actually herald kind of a, 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 a mindset change of the organization where, you know, they've always aimed to be a global brand, but I wonder if, if there's maybe this, and especially over the last year, as, as there's been even more Seattle influence into the, you know, both the technical and the, the player side, uh, is there a sense that there's you can lean into the community even more than you have in the past? You know, it's interesting that you phrase it that way, Jeremiah, and, you know, what you and I were talking about before we went live here. I mean, I think everybody we signed or almost everybody we signed 
Spencer Ritchie, uh, Freddie Montero, Kellen Rowe, um, going back last year, Brad Smith, Roman Torres. I mean, the pandemic has, you know, really pushed us in this direction and we've embraced it and leaned into it. And, um, but from an outside, like I, I still consider myself, I mean, like I'm not born in Seattle, you know, and, and like, there's still like a, I don't know if you feel it at all, Jeremiah, but you know, there's still like a, a level of like, you know, you're here, but you know, you weren't here back when kind of stuff. Oh yeah, you know? of course. Um, you know, and look, I mean, that that's, that our organization at its core is, is very Seattle centric. You know, you know, we have, you know, the senior leadership team, at least three or four people that were literally born and raised and have lived most of their adult lives in Seattle. So, um, you know, it, I, I've always felt that we were, we were very Seattle focused and Seattle centric, very community based. Um, and certainly when we went to the, when we, when the ownership group evolved from just Joe Roth to um, the families, again, almost all those families are Seattle families. Now, not exclusively, but the great majority of them are. And, you know, Peter Tomazawa came aboard and is working, you know, with us on a day-to-day basis. And um, that's been a lot of fun. And, and uh, you know, but he's, he's uh, a, an adoptive, Seattleite now himself. So um, I, I think, I, I, yes, is the answer to your question. I think very much, I think we are very much interested in and focused on Seattle, our community, our fan base, um, on social justice here in this community. And, you know, I think all of these elements um, contributed um, to, to focus us, us in that direction. So I, I think one of the, the funny things about that is when you first came here in 2015, there was this, I think, assumption that you were going to eventually get around to sort of cleaning house and, and rebuilding the organization with your with your people. Uh, at, essentially, it hasn't it hasn't really worked out that way. I mean, you, you ended up signing Brian as your your first head coach hire. Uh, you know, you now have just hired Wade Weber as a as your defiance coach, who I realize you know him very well. But, uh, you know, he, he's a Seattle guy. And you look up and down the organization, and it actually seems like you've you've leaned into the uh, the advantages that were already here. Is that something that you was that something you came into thinking might be the case, or was did your mind get kind of changed once you got here? Um, you know, look, I I I, I like to think I came at it with humility, uh, not thinking that I knew everything, not thinking that I had to do it my way, and you know there was no other way to accomplish it certainly wanted to learn from what had worked here. And, you know, again, an organization that had a ton of success, you know, we, we've joked in the past, you know, I, I'm the dummy, right. I'm, I'm the one who's like, uh, after the winning the open cup and the supporter shield, I'm like, Oh yeah, I'll, I'll come in. I'll come in. I'll make them better. Um, you know, it was a, you know, a, a pretty big risk and, uh, you know, fortunately it's worked out and we had a couple stars in the Jersey now and, you know, that's forever and that feels pretty cool. And, um, you know, in terms of, Changing things, you know, uh, this is, this goes back and I mean, the, the, the story of the off season that was, you know, uh, dom- not dominated, but was, you know, what's a com- common thread was, you know, were we going to retain Brian Schmetzer and stuff like that? And again, like internally, that was just a total non-story at all time. You know, like, I think what, what folks don't realize is, is, you know, Adrian and Brian have been together for 20 years. And so like, that's not, changing right like they're they've had only success they made the playoffs like literally all but like one year and 20 like it, it there's you know it, it's it's just not a space where a gm is going to have a lot of influence and and you know so so did i know that I definitely didn't know that 
coming in. I mean, Brian wasn't a coach then. So, uh, you know, I had no, I didn't know Brian. So that, that's, that's definitely been new and that's been, and that's changed. Um, but, you know, I've done my best to adapt to that and, and, uh, you know, certainly I've enjoyed working with Brian and, you know, we've had some success together and hopefully that'll continue. All right. Well, uh, it sounds like a, another good time to do a wheel spin. Uh, look at, why don't you, you spin that wheel again? I just did. Um, you're not, I don't know who this person is and you probably don't know who this is, but it's, uh, Marnie O'Shan. Oh no. Oh no. I don't, uh, Garth, you've been generous with your time every year as part of Yacht Clearly the audience appreciates it and you must enjoy connecting with Sounders fans this way. How much does it pain you that it involves more interaction with Jeremiah? <laughs> I will tell it, it, Jeremiah, should I assume that Marnie is your wife? Is that, is that, uh, She's not my wife. She's my sister, though. The sister. Okay. All right. Um, well, Marty, thank you very much for the question. Um, I, I'd love to do it justice. Um, I, I am uh, uh, married to a woman who keeps me keeps me humble uh, most of the time, so it's a familiar question. Um, I will mock both myself and Jeremiah for a second and say that Jeremiah is the only person uh, that came to my office one to conduct an interview. And we were both so full of ourselves that we wound up talking politics for uh, over an hour and never wound up going on the record with the topic that we had intended to cover on the day. So, uh, you know, certainly uh, Jeremiah is somebody that I, you know, look, we've got to spend a lot of time together at this point, right, Jeremiah? I mean, I think we've, we've kind of grown up with the Sounders almost a little bit. You, knew, you definitely knew a lot yeah. more than I did when I came, but, um, you know, it, it's, been, it's been fun, man. It's been fun, and, and to have this community here at Sounder at Heart is it's part of what makes the Sounders really special and it, it is fun to interact with everybody. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, again, if you, if you can enjoy the kind of quirkiness of, uh, playing D and D and watching Wade Weber, uh, playing a guitar and strumming along, you know, like you're not enjoying life. You're not, you're not, you're not doing it the right way. So, um, a, a hat tip to everybody and, um, you know, the cause here to, to raise some money for, uh, Seattle children's and for autism, uh, is near and dear to my heart. Um, it's, it uh, personally impacts our family. And so, again, really, really happy and feel lucky to be uh, included on something like this. So thank you. Well, and I, I guess I didn't mention it earlier on, but uh, the the whole wing concept came out of the idea that people were, we, we encouraged people to donate to, the, to our charity. And in exchange, we would... Uh, eat hot wings and ask the questions that they wanted to ask. So this is, in fact, this, we're not just doing it for the silliness of it. There is, there was a fundraising element of it. And, and, uh, and in case you missed it, uh, we're at something around $12,000 right now to raise in, in entirely. And I don't know, we, we've set a soft goal. Hey, like, Hey, let's get to 15. Why not? And, uh, we'll see if we get there, but, um, I really do appreciate I think uh, I think Garth still owes us a wing too. By the way, oh yeah, all right, right. <laughs> wing. Let me keep working. I gotta tell you though, th this turmeric sauce that we it's we have a there's a turmeric sauce that's habanero. I gotta tell you, it seems downright mild after you've been doing the the the, the hot ones uh, last dab sauce, which I've been doing a couple times, and it's like a it's like a nice refreshing break. Um, it's, it's out of this world. That sauce is that's one of the better hot sauces I've had in a long time. Yeah, yeah, and it's, yeah. yeah, it's a it's a turmeric and carrot sauce that a friend like randomly a friend of mine from high school started doing hot sauces and uh yeah, it's his name's uh 
Anthony Solis, and it's uh, Solis Cocina is the name that he's given the sauce, and he's started bottling it. And anyway, plug, plug, plug. Uh, yep. And that's that's the other one, the pineapple one. That one's that one's also very good, but the turmeric is uh, it's a it's very unique. So, are you how are you handling these, Garth? I just tried my first uh, habanero turmeric. And it looks like you're handling fine. So far, so good. I can I can feel the sweat beginning. There you go. Internal system that immediately overheats and and uh, yeah. Again, it's not it's not, it's outwardly not pretty. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, you know, nothing on this show is is really pretty. Uh, I think we can <laughs> we can say that. Um, but no, that's it's honestly it, it, it tastes good, Jeremiah. Like honestly, I'm pleasantly surprised. I was I was apprehensive, if I'm honest. No, oh, hey. I don't blame you for being apprehensive. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I, 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 getting back to the, to the idea of this, of this kind of Seattle community aspect of, of the signing. I mean, do you, how aware are you that almost every year you've, I think every year, but one, since you've been here, you've brought back a former player. Is that, what do you think that says about the organization that not only that you're willing to bring back players, but that, a players apparently want to keep coming back. Hey, look, we try to, you know, a little cliche that we impute here is uh, we try to treat people better on the way out than on the way in. And that was you on the way in. We try to make them feel very welcome and welcome families and welcome people to new culture, et cetera. So, um, you know, we, we try to do the same. You know, we're not a, a team that takes hard lines or gets upset with people if contracts don't work out or, or you know, we, we try to, treat everybody well. I mean, hopefully while they're with us, we, we try to treat them well as well. So it's something that I, I've always found worked out pretty well. Um, it's a value I shared with the folks that were, were here already, you know, with Adrian, with Brian. Um, and it's, so it's not, it's not real difficult, you know, and oftentimes when you have a player like say a, a Kellen Rowe, like, you know, we, <clears throat> we weren't sure, honestly. Um, and, and initially when we just ran data on, on Kellen and, he hasn't played as much in the last couple of years as, as uh, he would have liked, I'm sure. And uh, we got on the phone with Kellen and, you know, he talked to, he did a call with Chris was still with us at the time. And he talked to me, Chris and Brian, and, you know, we all hung up the phone. We're like, yeah, we got to sign him. So there's, <laughs> this, this is a, you know, it just, it, it's, you know, like, again, like, I think, don't get me wrong. There's some stuff that we do that is highly technical and very complicated. And, and, you know, we, we dive in, but, Sometimes if you have people that really want to play for you and, you know, are willing to do so on reasonable financial terms, you know, if you can get a couple of those, you know, that that's, those are always wins. You know, those are always good things for the club. And, you know, I suppose you could, you could get to a point where maybe there are too many of them, but again, I don't, you know, we're not there yet. And, you know, we're really lucky to have a guy like Kellen who really wants to be here. And, you know, I think players like him and like Freddie Montero, those guys are going to give their heart and soul for the club. You know, and, and uh, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, and again, I, I, I've never had this conversation with DeAndre, but, you know, I would think at some point, someday, DeAndre maybe makes his way back here as well, um, just based on the relationship, again, that he has with the club. And that one's, that one's more complicated than the others because, um, you know, there's allocation considerations and some other things that would have to come into play. You have some things that would have to line up. But, you know, uh, I think – you know, a lot of guys have had a lot of success. And, and again, it's it's the fans. I mean, I, again, I'd love to tell you it's because 
we have the best looking general manager in the league. I, I think that's probably objectively. I, you guys are, you guys politely turned my camera off early in this interview. So I, I know how you feel about that. Um, you know, but beyond that, you know, it, it's the fans, man. Like you go, you, Hey, do you want to come play in front of 40? Like who's going to say no to that? Like, and yeah. the team, uh, again, that same fan base um, drives buckets of revenue into our coffers and, and that allows us to continue to reinvest in the team and be successful. So it's, it, it's, It's a really good relationship that way. Do you have to be, like you mentioned this, but do you have to be aware of it, not letting it become a sentimental decision that you, like, is there ever a point where you have to like, wait a minute, are are we signing Freddie because he wants to be here or are we signing him because we think he can score goals? I mean, is that, like, how serious of those conversations get? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, if I'm sentimental, I lose my job, right? That's pretty straightforward. You know, you guys will vote on me and be like, hey, that was really nice that you brought Freddie back. But he didn't play well, and neither did Brad, and neither did Kellen, and therefore, you know, you don't work here anymore. So it, it's pretty black and white that way. Um, you know, and, and that's my job in general, right? I mean, that it's, you know, a general manager is not a position you should adopt if you want to be loved. Um, it, it is a, a difficult position in the sense of you have to say no, and you have to say no often um and uh you have to make cold-hearted evaluations and objective evaluation hopefully they're not in fact cold-hearted because you're not doing it whether because you like someone or you don't like someone it's it's based on evidence that's what we try to make our decisions on and um you know what you're doing too is as a gm that's that's you know separate like I, i maintain virtually anybody can be a scout. Now, being a good scout is a completely different thing, but being a scout in the sense that we can all watch a basketball game or a football game or a baseball game and be like, hey, that's the best player. And you'll find almost always that that best player is often the highest paid. The skill of a GM comes in in trying to find value at every single price point at every single position. And the benefit of us having good relationships with players and ex-players is a lot of times these guys will come back and they'll say, hey, I am willing to do this with my contract structure. I am willing to forgo that bonus or I am willing to fit under the salary cap um, in this way or that way. And um, when you have that flexibility, that allows you to continually pick players at the right value. And if you do that enough times, then the collective should benefit from that. And um, hopefully you're fielding good teams. Well, I'm going to ask you one more question, then we're going to do uh, do another wing. But uh, so we've seen the Sounders sustain a level of success that's literally unprecedented in MLS, but just as impressive when looked at through the prism of North American soccer. What we haven't seen, though, is the Sounders have the type of regular season that I don't know, like a Toronto FC or an LAFC or or even an Atlanta has had in recent years. And I'm just wondering, is there something about the way the Sounders are structured that promotes long-term success maybe at the cost of not reaching the extreme heights of you know a 75 point season or whatever it might be or is that just kind of a luck of the the, kind of the way it's worked out I definitely think some of the strategic choices we make play in um you know the we look at DP signings and I mean again the the guys you pay for are match winners right you want to uh you want to give the money to the guys that make the difference in the big games and Ladero and Rui Diaz in particular, I think have done a pretty good job of that. Um, and, you know, we signed them when they were available. And in both those cases, that was in the summer. And we were willing to wait to get that right. And so, you know, those are, you know, six, that's 16 and 18 right there. That's two seasons where we felt like we could make more impact. 
The other thing that gets reported less is there are there are um, not not with DPS, but sorry, no, with DPS as well. There are significant cap benefits to signing uh, players in the summer. So uh, again, if you're looking at a pot of money and you can buy a player now and then buy another player in the summer um, by by waiting on that DP or waiting on that TAM guy, uh, then you literally have more good players on your team. So you know we found that to be an effective strategy for us year over year over year. Um, and you know, look, we've, we've, if we were consistently mediocre and, and, you know, not making deep runs in the playoffs, then I think you could go back and, you know, all right, are we putting enough weight and attention in the beginning of the season in, in the regular season, et cetera, those would be fair questions, but, you know, we've never finished lower than fourth. Uh, you know, we finished second in the West last year. I, I think there's an argument we, we could have, or, or, or maybe even should have won the regular season, um, in the West. And, you know, that didn't work out for a lot of reasons. And so a bunch of things we can't control, like the crazy international window that, that where the way it went down in October, November and the, the knockout effects of that. Um, but it's, you know, the other thing is that, uh, you know, this is no doubt going to get me in trouble with some elements of the Sounder at Heart fan base. But, you know, a, a supporter shield is a it's, it's always going to be a good measure of who the best team is. Right. But if you look at the traditional supporter shields, though, those are games being played home and away in a regular cadence where you play everybody in the league. And, you know, last year we didn't play anybody in the East. <laughs> like we just played in the West. And and this year, you know, if you look at our schedule, you know, we haven't moved to a division format, but this is a division schedule. That's what this is. We're playing, we're playing everybody in the West coast three times. We're playing the rest of the West twice. And, and we, we only play in two East coast games. So, you know, the idea that the, the support shield, even to a purist, that that would be somehow embody the best team automatically over 34 games. I, I I do intellectually struggle with that when you're 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 only playing one half of the league really, and you're playing them an unbalanced number of times, and even within the three within the division, if you know we get LAFC and the Galaxy and Portland twice away, that's that's a tougher schedule than if we get them all at home. So um, you know there's just a lot of things like that where look you're always going to try to do the best you can in the regular season because you want to get a high seed right. If you get a high seed, you get playoff games at home. You get playoff games at home. You get lots of revenue. You get to invest that in the team. You know, again, virtuous cycle, right? So um, it's probably more information than you wanted, but hopefully no, that, that's that, in, that answers the question. There's never too much information. Um, all right, Lickett, let's let's do that that final wheel spin. All righty. Uh, Kristen Sario. Oh, are we hearing Aaron? Aaron, you might be on mute. I was. Uh, what's the hottest thing you've ever eaten? Is the question. Oh, well, I can. I'll. I'll start, and then I'll let. Well, I guess I should eat the wing first, right? That's how we're doing yeah. it. We're eating yeah. the wing, and then we're gonna. I know the. I know this answer actually. <laughs> doing the dab. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. That gets you on the tongue. The throat. Yeah. All right. So, Garth, I'll answer first, and I'll let you give some thoughts to this. The hottest thing I ever ate, I was in L.A. shortly before the pandemic started, actually. I went to a taqueria. They had something on the menu called a chili taco. That was 
just grilled chilies with some cheese on it. And I thought, sure, why not? And I took one bite of that, and I realized that was not fit for human consumption. And I was hiccuping and dying for probably the next 10 or 15 minutes, which is starting to hit me now of this one. But, uh, yeah, that was probably the hottest thing I ever ate. I don't. I do not have a good answer here. I do not have a memory of one <laughs> thing in particular. Just that I, just that I sweat out of the sides of my face, like from below my eyeballs and like below my ears, and it rolls down my face. And so I think at a young age, I was like, "Yeah, my people, my people aren't adapted for this stuff. This is not. Uh, this is not going to be an area of strength." Well, yeah, I was. Uh, oh. I was making chili once and thought I was using smoked paprika, but I was actually using cayenne. And uh, so it wasn't intended to be that spicy, but it was definitely the spiciest thing I've ever done. I, I did something. It was probably like four or five tablespoons of, of cayenne. In, oh. In a pot of chili, which is Ooh. a lot of cayenne. So, yeah. Yeah, I did something similar to that once. I, the first time I ever made chili verde, I thought I was... I, I got two different kinds of peppers mixed up. I was, I think I was supposed to be using Serrano's and I used like these little green peppers and it made like nuclear level spice to this Ooh. that was almost un, unedible, inedible. But anyway, we'll finish this up on a high note, I promise. Uh, Garth, how are you doing? Doing all right, man. Hang in there. I got uh, got one bucket of wings down, um, and I got two more, and we're dabbling. And I haven't put the habanero together yet with the three star wings. That's that's that's, that's the mountain I have left to climb. But I've I've I've, I've mixed everything else so far. So I'm all right, braver, all right. braver or stupider, one of the two. Well, are you are you able to hang out for a little bit longer? We I know we're pushing past the time we said we were going to keep you till. Well, we're all good so far. None of my children have come into the office, so I'm just assuming that they're asleep. That's so. That's why it usually works in your house, right, Jeremiah? Oh, that is a hundred percent how it works in my house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're usually my walking. Wife, my wife hasn't even texted. Yeah, you're golden then. Yeah, we. Yeah. The thing that happens at our house is so my wife. I don't know if you. This is too much information, probably, but my wife is a a big fan of the TV show Supernatural which has been an amazing experience for the pandemic because it's 15 seasons of like 23 episodes each season. And we're going to, we're getting close to getting to the end here, but it's not the most appropriate thing for your kids to walk in on. It's like a kind of like a, it's a pretty scary show for a kid to witness. Mm -hmm. We've had that happen a few times, but anyway, we, we got through star Wars in our house. In the oh. in the pandemic, that was that was a matter of some debate. But we got you know some there's some lightsaber injuries that are maybe a little a little much, but uh, we pushed through it. That's that's what happens when you have boys, right? I have three boys. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're we're toughening them up, I guess, or scarring them forever. One of the two. So is there? So did, does that mean you made it through all eleven episodes of of Star Wars? We did. We did. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying we did it in the day, Jeremiah. But, right. right uh, but, yeah. Hey, how about, did you guys get to Mandalorian too? We we have not yet uh, secured the resources to subscribe to Disney Plus, so it's it's on it's uh, one of my, my uh, now it's it's one of my boys have asked for it for their birthday, so it's one of those where 
probably shouldn't. Hopefully, he doesn't watch this. But you know, we're we're thinking about maybe uh, going that direction. And uh, he has it in his head that he's going to watch. You know, he's going to watch the Mandalorian. Like that is, you know, for his birthday. You know, that's that's going to be his thing. So I'm actually pretty pumped about it. Like we're gonna we're gonna drop it on him then, and and uh, hopefully be a lot of fun. I like that the log the the Loggerway uh, household is withholding Disney Plus from their children. Uh, <laughs> Because they don't have the resources for it. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I like that story we, that you've, you've told your kids. We, uh, we're on screens a lot as part of remote school. So yes, I think those, I, those parents can attest that uh, yes. more screens is, is, is maybe not the, the, the best best approach right now. The Disney okay, allocation money is hard to come by. Right. <laughs> it is. No, look, I mean, I'm a huge Marvel nerd as well, as Jeremiah knows. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm ready. Uh, you know, we just gotta we gotta ration it out in the right uh, in the right way. But I can't wait to watch Wandavision and um, whatever else is coming uh, that way. And I, yeah, I still haven't yeah. seen I still haven't seen Hamilton. I mean, they're, they're, you know, these these are gaps in my pop culture knowledge here. That uh, you know, in between uh, watching Brazilian players and Ecuadorian players and Argentinian players and uh, whoever our new sporting director likes, um, that's going to be an interesting process. We're going to have to match their taste with ours and. That'll be it'll be some uh, some some working together on that. I'm sure. Well, this feels like a good transition into this area of inquiry. Uh, during the D and D episode, which apparently you may have watched, uh, it sounds like I did. Least- yeah, oh, I saw it. I wouldn't wouldn't have missed that for the world. Hat tip to uh, Dave Clark. Did you I stick around for all the- three hours of it? I, I, I did. I, I broke it up, Jeremiah. I, I got it. I couldn't. I couldn't just go, you know, coast to coast on that. I was able to kind of watch it here and there and have it on the background. And um, but I, you know, I did get to see them beat the the Green Dragon. And and uh, you know, I'm I'm again again as a father, I'm really impressed with Dave Clark because the amount of work to go that goes into laying that out and like running that. I'm, like I've I've thought about like you know, could I do this with my kids and. It's it's really time intensive to to do what Dave does, and it's it's really impressive how he he set it up. Well, I think you just made D- Dave's year, so uh, <laughs> congratulations on that. Um, but I, I the reason I I brought it up was so we learned that your that your character apparently was was someone named I hope I'm getting this right Rodius Pigpopper is that is that accurate? Rodius was the first name, um, and that was a Dutch lawmaker. Um, he's one of the first uh, experts in uh, kind of the, the progenitor of naval law. Um, and so, again, being a nerd, uh, I thought I might go. This is one because Wade and I played together uh, when we were when we were teammates on uh, the, the, the the then the then Dallas Burn, now FC Dallas. And uh, so I figured I wanted to go to law school at some point. And so I was very interested in that, those kind of figures. And uh, my heritage is Dutch. You know, my, my ancestors came over a hundred years ago um, through Ellis Island from Holland. And so uh, Grotius was, uh, was the, with the name. And then the last part was just silliness was, you know, just find something, you know, uh, idiotic, silly, whatever, whatever I went through my 25 year old brain at that point, uh, you know, Something, something that could be uh, uh, laughed about for years afterwards. Well, I, I appreciate you you coming up with that name because it made for a good discussion. But what what do you think your experience as a D anD D player says about your what what is what about that character spoke to like the way you are a GM and the way that you kind of executed your 
career from then then forward? Um, you know, I, I don't know. I look. I'm. I'm I, I would love for there to be some insight here, Jeremiah, but I suspect it was just I was in my twenties. I was a goalkeeper. I was. I was a meathead. Um, I had some funky haircuts. Um, I was very into expressing myself and. You know, if I got to carry a big sword and be a big, strong guy in the game and uh, chop some people's heads off, then, you know, that that felt pretty fun at that point. And, uh, you know, I wasn't wasn't married. And, you know, I was one of these guys that always said, ah, you know, I'm never, never going to get married. That's for that's for the week. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you, know, life, you know, life, it's funny. Life always catches up with you. Right. But things change and your perspective changes and you evolve. I, I love that word. The, I spent a bunch of time watching the the Lincoln special on CNN, the six part installment. And, and, uh, you know, one of the words of was to watch, uh, Lincoln's evolution on, on, uh, the issues of the day. So, um, and the issues of our day. So it, it's, I think it's a really important quality as a person. Uh, if you can evolve along the way, then, uh, hopefully that's means that you're remaining curious about the world around you and you're trying to learn from it and you're trying to get better. And I like to think that I did some of that. Well, you know, but it, I, you say you were a meathead and you, you know, you say all these kind of self-deprecating things, but you know, DND, you, you pick a kind of a, a clever name in, in, in Rodius and yeah. you're playing DND, which is not exactly a meathead game to get into. I mean, there must be something about your interest in uh, a turn-based strategy game that like translated into you know, maybe not at the time you knew it, but it seems like it, it at least laid some foundation for, for moving on into the, you know, player personnel field. I mean, look, it, in the sense of, you know, you're, you're adventuring with a group of people, right? And, and you know, Wade referenced this as well, but one of the other uh, party members was a, is now a judge, a federal judge, um, and, uh, you know, was a better lawyer than I was. And, uh, you know, the other guy's a, a government contractor who's smarter than both of us. So, um, it was definitely some intellectual firepower. And, um, at, at that time, at least I didn't find Dallas, Texas to be the most, uh, intellectually stimulating place, at least not within a, a pro soccer player locker room. Um, I remember, you know, and, and look, it's all changed now, right? I mean, the, most of the kids nowadays don't go to college at all, but back then you still had teams that had college guys and um you know we had i don't know between four or five six something like that uh guys that had gone to college on the team in dallas and you know i was a backup goalkeeper so no matter how delusional i got i probably wasn't so delusional that i thought i was gonna make a living at this i mean the, the most money i ever made as a pro goalkeeper was forty thousand dollars and all in one year you know that's 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 a lot so um we called ourselves professional um, and, and, you know, it, it was obviously you had to have a backup plan, you know, and, and again, I, I figured I wanted to, to go into law and, and look, I got, I got cut four times in five years. So it wasn't exactly a secure way to make a living. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Wouldn't change it for the world. Um, but you know, you, you needed to have something else. And so I think that, you know, again, if, if we were to peel it back at all, like I was a history and public policy major in college, you know, I was always interested in the world and, you know, studied abroad in Florence, studied abroad in Freiburg, Germany, was interested in, you know, the kind of multicultural aspects of life. And, you know, so probably I'll wrap that into, I better have, you know, I, I would love to hang out with these smart people and do this strategy based thing. And, and uh, you know, 
that is one thing that I think is different. You know, as opposed to playing a video game where you're holding a controller and shooting something in front of you, D&D does allow you to have, you know, you know, maybe it's just over a couple of hours, but to have a strategy and to go on a campaign and to have a broader big picture. And certainly that very much informs how I think. You know, I think you asked me about signing. You know, we talked about this a little bit in terms of signing people in the summer, but, you know, there's always a strategy, man. You, you have to get the strategy. You have to set that, and then you have to work back from there. And, and as long as you're true to that framework, no matter how good your process, you're always going to screw up decisions along the way. But if you get most of them right and you follow the overall strategy, you got a decent chance of being successful, or at least that's what's worked for me. And and I'm, I'm sure you know, I've worked with people who think I'm I'm tough to work with because I'm concerned about things that are going to happen six months from now, 12 months from now. And I always kind of keep that in mind. And uh, I'm not reactionary and I don't particularly care what other people think or say, and I don't swing the pressure a whole lot. So um, I, I suppose I could be obstinate or stubborn. Um, but again, it's the idea of setting a strategy and following it and, uh, you know, then uh, sticking to it. Well, um, I don't know. Do we have another, I, I was, I was going to say that's a good place to end, but I also feel like if we can do one more wing, do we want to do that? Do we have I'm another spoon in us? Sure. I, I got right. I'll, I'll go all in here. I'll go. I'll go with your uh, special hot sauce and my three stars, and we'll. There we go. The that's what we were here for. See, that's what I was just playing it into. What do we got? Spinning. It's taking its time. <laughs> it knows it. we're into it. Tim Ham. All right, so uh, Jeff Bezos calls you and offers you a Brewster's Million deal with $1 billion, but you must spend it all in 30 days and retain no assets. What do you do? Wow. Ain't no assets, so... Basically, you have to blow a billion dollars on the experience. I would imagine you try to do something cool like fly to Mars, something like that. You know, I, although the older I get, the less I I personally want to be in space. I do feel like it's a cool thing to do, like for civilization. And I'd love to do like I love to watch other people go deep under the sea and out in the space and try to find extraterrestrial life and all kinds of fun things like that. But um, I don't know the whole being apart from your family forever and not really, you know, living in a glass dome somewhere. That doesn't, doesn't, at least we're not there yet. Hopefully we can uh, improve our climate here and save our planet and not have to do that. But, that, you know, intellectually, that's, that's, I always read science fiction stuff and loved Isaac Asimov's foundation. And, um, you know, I think that'd be fun. Well, that's, uh, that's a good note, I think, to end on. Uh, Garth, I appreciate you doing this so much. You're a good sport, obviously, as always. Uh, we threw some curveballs at you, uh, not the least of which was on the technical side. So hopefully hopefully that was fun for everyone to see us sweat both uh, for freaking out about this, but also sweat because I am still feeling the residual of that hot sauce quite intensely. Um <laughs> But anyway, Garth, I really do appreciate you doing this. I want to, before we, we sign off, though, I did want to thank some people, and I wanted to kind of close out. Uh, 
kind of our, a little a commencement address here. Uh, but we, we could not have done this without Fulpul Wines, the doctor's office, and the masonry. They were the food-related businesses that donated supplies and whose owners were sharing their expertise and served as our faculty. Uh, Stoop Brewing also partnered with Fast Fashion Brewing to make our signature beer, Craft Casual, which I believe you can still find at various establishments around Seattle. But really, the people that made this thing happen were the volunteers, and there were a lot of volunteers that put in uh, a kind of ungodly amount of hours. Uh, MLS Watercolors shared their creative talents and taught their first ever course. Once again, Emily Cummings worked countless hours behind the scenes to help produce and make this event happen. Dave Clark volunteered tons of time helping out and served as the dungeon master of our D&D course. My No Sadietis partners, Aaron Campbell and Lickett P, once again, did a lot of the heavy, lift, heavy lifting that wasn't necessarily in front of the camera. Two old friends of mine from college, Colin Steiner and James Morgan, uh, also did a lot of the behind-the-scenes work. Colin designed our poster while James produced many of the classes and did a ton of the behind-the-scenes work that made this whole thing happen. Uh, finally, Beth Mantle, Susie Rance, Tim Foss, Steve Boat, and Jacob Cristobal have donated time as moderators, hosts, and or behind-the-scenes helpers. As usual, this has been a true team effort and would have been literally impossible if not for the volunteer hours that they all put in. I also owe a huge debt of gratitude to the Sounders and Rain, who helped us find guest students. Brian Schmetzer, Kellen Rowe, Spencer Ritchie, David Estrada, Wade Weber, Lamar Nagel, Lauren Barnes, Danny Weatherholt, Madison Hammond, and of course, Garth Logaway. Uh, all of them were enthusiastic participants, and they made this uh, feel like an entirely pure and really just kind of fun event from uh, my perspective, at least. Hopefully you, you share the same. I'll finally close uh, Yacht College by saying thank you to everyone who registered, watched, and especially those who donated. This has been one of the most gratifying projects I've ever contributed to, and I'm blown away by what we accomplished and what uh, you guys allowed to happen. I would urge everyone to continue watching the courses if they missed any of them, and hopefully next year we won't have to be yachting alone. I'm Jeremiah O'Shan, signing off for Yacht College, and uh, hopefully we'll see you in person next year. Wait, is a we need Garth to certify our course. Our, oh, that's uh, right. I forgot, Garth. We uh, we wanted to. We we had a, a, a an element for you here. Um, where do you do we have? Did we give that to him? Oh yeah, we're okay. I gotta find that. <laughs> oh no, where was it? Okay, sorry. Uh. Oh, no, where is it? I cannot find it. Okay, this is some good behind-the-scenes stuff here. I forgot I had to do this thing that you guys would, uh, so you can actually turn this into your diploma. Sounds very exciting. Yes, okay. Garth, as president of soccer, we need to ask you one more thing. All of the Yachtcon students watching live and who have taken courses over the past two weeks as well as those watching on demand later, have worked hard to complete the official YachtCon back to school curriculum. Can you now certify that they are eligible to graduate from Yacht College? Absolutely. Oh, Without God. hesitation. All right. <laughs> well, with all that said and all the technical difficulties, I need to go recover. And uh, thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you, girl.